All right, take out your swords, pull out your Bibles. That's why we have come. The study is infallible word. And again, we're, we're now reaching that point in the book of Revelation where things are starting to accelerate. The, the day that we know is still yet future, if you're here tonight and you're the redeemed of the Lord, say amen. 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 You know, we're, we're looking at this time from a very different point of view than the world will be looking at it when it happens. Because for us who have the answer, we've received the grace of God. We've invited Christ into our heart. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. Uh, We're going home to heaven. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? So one day, we believe that Scripture tells us that the Lord is going to take his church up. He's going to snatch us away by force. The church will be raptured home. And so these events that we're seeing for us as the church... Uh, should be getting us excited and engaged. They they should bring us to that place of recognizing uh, that the time is short. I got a couple of emails this week. Always interesting when you teach on things like the mark of the beast and 666 because the the nutcases come out. Uh, I don't know how else to call them, but the people who want to speculate, the very people that I spoke to you about last week came out. So uh, the, the speculators, those who believe they know exactly what the mark of the beast is and they know that the number is this certain person and they tell you who it is. Look, as I said last time, and I'm going to reiterate it again tonight, for us as the body of Christ, we're not going to really know and we certainly, because of where we're going to be, aren't going to care. We're going to be in heaven. Amen? Amen. Now, that doesn't mean we don't care about this passage of Scripture. That simply means that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can skip all this stuff. And so remember that. There's a point to knowing this now. And the point is the gospel. This is to point you towards Christ. It's, to, it's a, actually to strike some fear uh, into your heart for the right purpose. The reason that your body begins to tense up, when you, uh, being a rock climber for many years, there's a reason that when you stand on top of a a couple thousand foot cliff, when you're on the top of, say, Half Dome uh, in Yosemite Valley, and you're standing on the diving board and you're looking over, your whole body says, get thee away from here. The reason it does that is, is you're being warned, your senses have come upon you, and you're now going, I am in a dangerous place. I do not want to move, because if I move the wrong direction, I'm going to die. Scripture has some of that in it. The warnings that are contained in Scripture are so that you don't die, especially eternally. And so as we pick up tonight in verse 1 of chapter 14, and we'll be looking at the amazing grace of God because God is gracious even in his justice and his judgment, is he not? God is perfect in all of his ways. We sang about that tonight. He is perfect. That is a biblical truth in all of his ways. He can be simultaneously perfect in love and perfect in justice and judgment at exactly the same nanosecond. He doesn't have to abandon one for the other. You see, we have a tough time you know, when, when you, if you have children, when you have to scold your children, you almost feel like at that moment you're being unloving at times. 
And actually you are. I have been. I've said, and it's like, oh, I could have said that differently. I could have handled that differently. But God is perfect even in his chastisement. Matter of fact, his word says he chastens those whom he loves. Amen? So when he gives this warning, what do you think he's trying to do? He's trying to save us from whatever follows. And so verse 1, the amazing grace of God. Would you pray with me? Father, again, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, we thank you that we have heard these words in advance of them happening. And many, if not most of us in this room, have received and believed, and we are your children. And so the fear of these things, Lord, is not because it will be our reality. It's because we have people that we know do not know you. And so, God, we ask that as we hear these things, that we would indeed take it upon ourselves to be busy about our Father's business and to be preaching the gospel, to go into all of the world and do exactly what you've asked us to do, which is to share you, Jesus, with this dying world. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the power of your word. Now pray that you would speak to us through it. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 1 here in Revelation 14 And then I looked and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion. Now notice where he's standing. Very important. We're going to go through these verses. We've got a number of them tonight. He's standing on Mount Zion. Where is the Lord Jesus at this time? He is in heaven, interceding before the throne of God. Amen? When he left, he departed. He said, where I go, I'm going that you might be there also. And then he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. For those who would become his children, when you die, you go to the presence of the Lord, to that heavenly mansion. So those who have died previous to this time uh, will have automatically headed off to heaven. He says, Behold, now a lamb is standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their forehead. So it's very clear, the lamb is the Lord Jesus, because it says his father. There's only one lamb who is also the son of God, that is the lamb Jesus. Amen? So it becomes very clear who's being spoken of here. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. And so there's a heavenly sound that's that's mixed in with this scene. And they sang... As it were a new song, and the they is also quite clear. And they sang, as it were a new song, before the throne, before the four living creatures, before the elders, that no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed of the earth. For these are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed among men, being the firstfruits of God and of the Lamb. And so the first five verses here unfold before us is very helpful. Yes, we're going to take two weeks to get through this chapter. Very helpful to have a little bit of an outline, and you have it here on this first slide. Verses 1 through 5 deals with the 144,000. It becomes very clear that these are the Jewish believers, but for the sake of illuminating this, we will do so. In verses 6 through 7, you have have an angel who's proclaiming an everlasting gospel, something that's going to be spoken out during that time. You see, the gospel's always been the gospel, amen? Uh, When we say that we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
It's the saving gospel that's always been the only gospel. It's the only way that someone can come to faith and be saved. And so that everlasting gospel has now transitioned from the the age of grace, the time that we now live in, into even the tribulation. And so that same gospel is effective to salvation to those who believe. And so this angel preaches the everlasting gospel, giving everyone, you, you would think, that once God decides, look, enough's enough, time is up, I, I can't take another presidential election in the United States of America, it's over. You know. I, God has had enough. He's finally said, look, you, you've gone beyond wickedness. You are as it was in the days of Noah. You, you have now crested over that hill and you're going downhill. You would think that that might precipitate God being simply judgmental. But even in his judgment and in his justice, he's going to be pouring out the gospel. The gospel of grace will still be available even during the tribulation. It will simply be far more difficult to become a child of God. It may well cost you your life. And now people today, they hear the gospel message, well, you know, I I don't want to give up drugs. Or I don't want to give up my relationship with this, this person. Or, you know, I, I, I kind of like stealing stuff. So, I, you know, this whole Jesus thing, I might have to stop doing my stealing. So I'm going to keep stealing. So I, I, and I'll trade that. But during this time, you're going to have to forfeit your life, most likely. Except for those who are supernaturally protected by the Lord. And so we're going to see that that everlasting gospel will still go forth. Verse 8 deals with the destruction of, of Babylon. Commercial Babylon, religious Babylon. We'll get to that uh, in greater detail later in this book. Verses 8 and 11 deal with the eternal doom for all those who worship the beast and those who receive his mark. Remember that we discussed. We've already seen. You can get the CD. You can go online to our YouTube channel. You can watch the video. The bottom line is, for that mark, once you take it, you have pledged allegiance to the beast. You have declared whose side you're on. Do you remember what Jesus said about this very thing? He said, you are either for me or you are against me. And so during this time, so great will that differential be that when you make that decision, you have just sealed your doom. So that mark is going to be a voluntary mark, whatever it is. And you'll be pledging allegiance to the Antichrist, to the false prophet, to Satan himself. And you will know what you're doing. Verses 12 to 13 deal with the blessings of those who, that are given to us when we die. You know, even today, the Lord delights in the taking home of his saints. Under 19th Psalm reminds us that that the Lord in his majesty, when he takes us home, it's to a kingdom of rest. Amen? For those of us who left, that's a hard, it's a difficult time. Even now, when you have someone who's close to you and they're they're in that place that you, you know they're 60, 70, 80, 90 years, 100 years maybe, They just announced that the oldest man in the world, they did that today, the oldest man in the world is actually a Holocaust survivor in Israel. I think they said he was 112 or 114 years old. He's 112 years old. 
Even if you live to be 112 years old and you've lived a full life, to leave this earth, to go home to heaven, that's a win. Amen? Doesn't seem like it does who are left behind. But to the person who's in heaven, the glories of heaven, they go, God, would you send me back, please? You know, every once in a while I'll have somebody say that to me. You know, well, I'll just tell God to send me back. No, you, you, you're not going to tell God to send you back. That's a nice gesture. It's, it's a wonderful thought. It actually shows kindness on your part. But you're not going to do it. Verses 14 to 20, the final judgment that will come upon this earth, and we'll get to that actually next week, two parts there. So when you look at these verses, we're we're looking at the last three and a half years. This again is an overview of the tribulation, and it pulls out parts of what's going on during those last three and a half years. So we now have had the rise of the Antichrist. We have the rise of the false prophets. So you have a one-world government. You have a one-world monetary system. You have a one-world religion that exists. The world is coming unglued. People are now receiving the mark of the beast in order to be involved in that world system of commerce. They they now are doing those kind of things. You have this incredible radical group, this 144,000, and they are going to be the ones that will be primarily sharing the gospel. They will be supernaturally protected. Remember that we've already seen that they have a mark on them as well. So you actually can see now the counterfeiting that the enemy does. You have the mark that's on the 144,000 that seals them for the Lord. And now you have the mark on those who do not know the Lord and don't want to know, have rejected the Lord. And these are going to be kind of like competing marks. It's like you either have one mark or the other. And so they'll be the real one, they'll be the counterfeit one. But what we find in this passage first initially is, is that <clears throat> peace as the king of heaven puts his feet down on, on Jerusalem and Mount Zion. You must remember, we must remember, we have to always keep in mind, God is still on the throne. Amen? No matter how wacky it gets, Kai and I were talking this morning, we're sitting having coffee, and we're like, what are we going to do? Okay, we're going to, all right, Republican, Democrat, Independent, Green, Other. Let's choose Other. We don't know what that is, but there's got to be something other than this. That was kind of the conclusion we came to, right? You know, you're sitting there, you're looking at it going, man, we, we, we've got casino owners and people who can't tell the truth to save their life. And it's like, what has the world come to? It's like, there's, you're kind of going, Lord, could you come back tonight? That would be good. We might be getting close. But know this, God's still on the throne. I, I don't know what's going to happen in November, but I know in November, if we're still here, God's still on the throne. Amen. Amen? So as you read these things, don't lose heart. Gain boldness. Don't get upset. Not at your fellow man, not at this world. You get set, upset at the enemy and go do something about it. Go tell people about your Jesus. And so there in verse 1, we see the 144,000 again. Very clear to me who these are. They're the same people from Revelation chapter 7. And if you remember there, they're, they're actually named. It's not like it's a hard thing. It's not like, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses who have kind of miscalculated the 144,000 like a dozen times now. 
You know, it's like there were 144,000. They had to start making layers of the 144,000. And they said, okay, we'll, we'll wipe out that 144,000. We'll start over. It just it doesn't work that way because they're described for us. We're told who they are. They're, these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's 12,000 of each one of them. Makes 144,000. These are Jewish believers. Remember there in chapter 7, verse 4, it says, And I heard the number of those who were sealed. Remember, they have received that mark. That mark's on their forehead. Sealed by the Lord. 144,000 of all of the tribes of the children of Israel. Notice it doesn't say all of the tribes of the church. It doesn't say all of the tribes of anyone who's ever been a spiritual adoptee into Israel. Because in that sense, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, all believers are, are simply believers. So you can have Hebrew believers, we can have Gentile believers. But they're still the nation Israel. And God has a plan for them. And so I believe that these 144,000 are the same ones. And I love this, because that mark that was put on them, and remember, it says there, and actually in verse 3 in chapter 7, do not harm the earth, the sea, the trees that have been sealed with the servants of our God on their forehead. So we, we get the same picture. You have these two groups that are competing. They're going back and forth. I want you to notice something. You can miss this if you don't see it. 144,000 are sealed. How many are saved? 144,000. They're still there. Seven chapters later, they're all still there. There's not 13,999. <laughs> you know, there's not 139,999. There's still 144,000. The reason that's important is Jesus said that that's what would happen in John 17. When Jesus was talking there, he said, All that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, and keep them through your name, those whom you've given me, that we might be as one. And that while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. And those who you gave me, I have kept that not one of them should be lost. Amen? Amen? He's able to save and he's able to keep. Don't forget those two parts. Sometimes people think they've got to keep themselves. If you're kept by you, we're all dead. Amen? Just saying. If it's up to your keeping power to keep you in the love of God, you are toast, and so am I. God keeps those who are his. Not one of them will be lost, except the son of perdition that Scripture might be fulfilled there in John 17. Verses 10 through 12. That's a beautiful passage of Scripture. If you're still unsure, you still don't get it, you may think, ah, maybe that's not quite right. What did Jesus say? He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they will follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. So when Jesus saves, he saves to the uttermost and he keeps those whom are his. He goes on to say that no one, not the Antichrist, not the false prophet, not people promoting the mark of the beast, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hands who are his. Amen? So there's grace everywhere in this. There's God's wonderful power in everything. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 and 20 through 22. For the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen. Amen? To the glory of God through us. In other words, when God makes a promise about you and he keeps it, you actually testify of his truth. When he says, I will keep you, and he keeps you, the world looks at, you're still walking with Jesus? Yep, I'm still walking with Jesus. I know it's hard to believe, but that's him. It testifies of him. And now he who establishes you is he who is in Christ, has anointed us, and he is God, and who has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You realize that the Spirit of God in you is God's guarantee that he did what he said he was going to do. That he not only saved you, but he's keeping you. And he's empowering you. He's enabling you. That's why you can be an overcomer, by the way. You can't be an overcomer by programs. Did you know that? There is no program on this earth that can make you an overcomer. It can help you with certain aspects of life, to be sure. But to be an overcomer in this sense is to be found in Christ Jesus, filled with the Spirit and anointed by God. That's how it happens. You see, this group is identified with the Father. That mark is on their foreheads. Revelation 9 told us that there in verse 4. They're identified with the Lamb. Their salvation is through faith in Him. And their position there on Mount Zion gives an awesome picture of security. The Lamb's with them. He's on the very same mount that Abraham took Isaac to. And said, look, we're going we're gonna to have to sacrifice your son. And God says, don't harm the boy. I will make myself a sacrifice. He says, I'll take care of it. Notice they sing a new song in verses 2 and 3. And I heard that voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, like the voice of a loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. And they sang, as it were, a new song. Before the throne, before the four living creatures, the elders, and no one could learn that song except for the 144,000 who were redeemed of the earth. This is a new song. This is a song that the church sings, to be sure. The song of the church was found back in chapter 5. Remember that? Who is worthy to take the scroll? They're singing that song. Been redeemed by God at your blood out of every tribe and tongue and nation. And you have made us priests and kings of all of the earth. That song was sung by the church. They're in heaven. The 24 elders were leading that song. They were the, the choir that day. But this is a new song. And it's a song confined to this group, this 144,000 uh, Jewish believers. And, and there, I believe there's a reason for it. No other group could learn this song. And here's why I think that is. They've gone through something that no other people group ever in the history of the world has gone through. The Jewish people tonight are the most persecuted people group that's ever existed on the face of the earth. Now, there's been a lot of persecution. I want to be very, very careful how I say this. That does not mean that other persecutions haven't been horrible. And we can think of lots of them. What happened here in this country for almost 140 or so years as our African brothers and sisters were sold as property, that was also horrific 
and millions died. We cannot miss that. We could look at the Armenian genocide. 1.5 million Armenian Christians slaughtered. It's happening tonight. We see Christians all over the Middle East being killed simply because of their belief, their faith in Christ. But the Jewish people have been going through this for two and a half thousand years. Two and a half thousand years tonight, and it's still going on. And the Holocaust took the Jewish population of the world down to about someplace between 15 and 20 percent of the total population prior to the Second World War. So nearly 80 percent of all of the population of the earth that was pure Jewish heritage was killed in the Holocaust. That's never happened to any other people group. And so they learn a new song. The psalmist David, Psalm 42, reminding us of why we praise God. Why are you disquieted within me? Where is my, my hope is in God, and yet I will praise him. You see, when you've been delivered by the Lord, you praise the Lord. I praise the Lord. I don't want to disrespect anybody, but there's a reason that I praise the Lord. I'm not saying that everybody has to be where I'm at or do what I do. But I'm thankful that God saved me. I'm thankful that God would ever use me. I'm thankful that the Lord has placed me here, placed Connie and I here, placed us as a family to, to serve, that he's given us a new song, something to sing. And when that happens, you can't help but praise him. It's a natural outflow of what's happened in your life, what's going on. And I believe that that's what happens with the 144,000. They saw God's hand upon their lives Gave them strength to endure to the end. Not one of them was lost, and they are singing a new song because of it. We next see these five amazing traits. Notice verse 4 and 5. And these are the ones who were not defiled with women. And I want to be, again, very cautious here. There's nothing... It's not like there was some misogynistic takeover of the tribulation to where, you know, men are more important. That's, that's absurd. And there have been people that have taught that that's what this verse teaches, that somehow women are inferior. Absolute hog bathing, which is like hogwash, only worse. These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And so there are five truths that are being spoken of as virgins. I think it's in both contexts, both spiritually and, and physically as well. I remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it says this in verse 2, For I'm, a jealous, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband. That would be Jesus as the church. Amen? We are the bride of Christ. That's why we're called that, and we're supposed to be pure. And so the picture is very clearly uh, applicable in a spiritual sense. In other words, those that were saved during the tribulation are supposed to be holy unto the Lord. They're not going to make it unless they are. It's that simple. It's going to cost them. I mean, in our world today, 
it really doesn't cost us a whole lot here in America to say, I, I love Jesus. We had a prayer booth out in front of the church yesterday, and, and we're using amplified sound to talk to people in the intersection in their cars and tell them about Jesus. And people are coming over and being prayed for and all those kinds of things. I mean, we can do that here. You do that in Saudi Arabia, you're going to be in prison. It's that simple. You do that in Iran, you're probably going to be in prison. You'll probably be killed for it. You do that in Pakistan, same thing will happen. But not here. But during the tribulation, over the whole earth, it's going to be like the worst places on earth right now for Christian persecution. What ISIS is doing to Christians in the Middle East, the Antichrist, the false prophet, will be doing to everyone who does not worship them. It will be global. And so the 144,000 saved out of the Jewish people, these people have been persecuted for millennia that have now come to faith in Christ. They're these zealous of evangelists. They're, they're going to have everything that they can possibly handle preaching Christ. And very much like the, the early missionaries, many of them went into the mission field and never married. They didn't have time. The very thing that Paul addressed when he's talking about being in ministry, he says it's better that you not be married. He didn't say that it's bad to be married. He just said there are things that come with marriage. When you're married, I have concerns for my wife. I will always have that. Matter of fact, I would not be in God's will if I didn't have concern for my wife. I'm supposed to have that. So during this time, because time will be so short, there's three and a half years left, and the Lord's going to judge the earth fully, they're preaching Christ. So they're going to sacrifice even human relationship. But they'll be so particularly spiritually. They're going to just simply be focused on preaching the gospel and seeing to it that people have an ability to escape what's happening with the wrath of the, of the beast as he comes upon the earth. And when you look at our world today, I don't know when it's going to start costing us because we're close there are so many things that are being bantered about right now that if the, the wrong person is put on the Supreme Court, um, you could have some serious laws passed very, very, very shortly that will absolutely affect us as the church, us as individual believers. You know, one of the things that, that has been tossed around now for several years, actually about five or six is the removal of a church's tax-exempt status. You know, right now we don't pay income tax on giving. That's why you get a tax deduction for doing that, for supporting the church. And when you look at what the church actually does, about 80% of the relief work done around the world is done by the Christian church. It's not done by governments. It's done by God's people doing what God told them to do. And it's supported by churches. And that's everything from hospitals to schools to orphanages to food programs. That's done by the church. And it's done chiefly because we can really economize. You give the government $100, they're going to get about 10 bucks of it somewhere to do something. You give the church that, you get about $85 of it actually does something. So there's all kinds of things where it could get a little bit tough. It could get hard. They're going to follow the lamb, number two, wherever he goes. Wouldn't it be awesome if that could be said about us tonight? 
Jesus, you tell us where to go, we're going. Amen? But sometimes we kind of fight with God a little bit, don't we? I have. I mean, maybe you haven't. I've fought with God. Like, well, I'm not doing that, Lord. I mean, i got plans. Don't mess up my plans, Lord. And then you realize, I'm calling him Lord. That means master. Maybe I should listen to him. Yeah, they're going to follow him wherever he goes. Interesting, kind of a fun fact, in a, in, a, in a Hebrew wedding, in a Jewish wedding, what would normally happen is the bride and the groom. Now, the bride and the groom, that's the church, amen, in, in this sense. The groom is Christ. The bride is us. The bride and the groom were carried along in what kind of looked like a chair held up by sticks. They would actually be carried. Once they were married, once the betrothal year was over and they were married, their, their first day they were actually carried to the reception. Do you know who followed them? The unmarried, the virgins. The church has already been carried off. Guess who follows them? The 144,000. Those who are now received Christ, but are described here as virgins. It's a really beautiful picture of, of that Jewish wedding, which, by the way, totally pictures Christ and his work for the church as well. Third characteristic. They're the first fruits of the tribulation period. Remember back in chapter 7. And it says there in verse 9, I looked and after these things, behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all of the nations and tribes and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb in white robes. And these were the ones who came out of the great tribulation. Their robes were washed, and they had been made white by the Lamb. So they, these would be the first fruits. These are the ones, they, they came to Christ early during the tribulation, that all hell breaks loose, and all of a sudden everybody's going, hey, it's truth. I, I believe that Jesus is Messiah. They give their life to Christ, and now they're just these radical evangelists going all over the world. It's like, I'm just going to go preach Jesus, because what can happen? I'm going to get killed, I go home. Amen? Can you imagine if every Christian on earth took that kind of view right now? I mean, really, what can happen? I preach Christ, somebody kills me, I go home. I'm not saying you should be flippant like that. You have things that God probably wants to do with you. But imagine being that sold out. They're the first fruits. They were the, the on-fire group during the tribulation. A fourth characteristic, that they speak the truth. And, of course, the truth as we know it, it is the truth that set us free. Amen? We're to speak that truth in love. Jesus said he is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father. But by him, they now speak the truth. They're, they're literally speaking forth Christ into the world. That would be very important during the last three and a half years of the tribulation because it's going to be either or. You see, right now, in a, in a strange sense, the decision is still the same. So if you think about it this way, tonight, you're either in or you're out. You're a saint or you're an ain't. Um, you're, you're, you're a believer or a non-believer. You're a sheep or a goat. You're a weed or a tear. That's still true tonight. But you actually tonight still have a decision that you can make at a later date. Now, having said that, do not make it at a later date. Make it tonight. If you have not received the Lord Jesus Christ, do not leave this building without receiving Christ as your Savior. But you can. But during the tribulation, it's going to be so horrific that that decision is basically going to be spot on. Who are you for? 
receive the mark of the beast and you can live, or you can receive the mark of God and we're going to take your life right now. The only difference is you're going to get to live for three and a half years and then you're going to spend eternity separated from God if you take the mark of the beast. So right now, you got a little bit of wiggle room. Do not encourage you to use even one second of it. To believe on his name is to be saved. can happen right now, this very moment. You can begin that new life right now. But it's not always going to be like that. And God forbid, you know, if you happen to wake up, you're here, and you wake up tomorrow, and all the people that were in this room tonight, you can't find the next day. Um, you might want to start looking for, for some GQ guy that's solving the world's problems. And by any chance that he should be around, I would highly encourage you to give your life to Christ right then, right there. You're probably going to die for it, but you'll be saved. You see, right now, you can kind of, nah, I'll think about it tomorrow. Do not do that. There's only one truth, and that truth will set you free. And a fifth characteristic, that this group was without fault and without blemish. Okay, Is there any other way in this world to be without fault and without blemish other than to be found in Christ? Altogether? No! So we know what this is. That means they're saved. We will one day be presented faultless before the Lamb. Isn't that amazing? Because when I think about me, well, that ain't happening. You understand what I'm saying. When you think about you, no matter how much cleaning up you do, if you have dogs, you know this. You can wash your dog all day long, and, and as soon as you turn them loose, you have dried them. They're rolling in whatever dirt you have in your yard, right? Well, we're kind of like that. You're over there praying, Lord, I'm so sorry. I know that I shouldn't have thought. I shouldn't have done that. God, would you please forgive me? And I know you love me and you forgive me and I'm cleansed. And then 30 seconds later, you turn around and you think something else has gotten you dirty again. Amen? So the only way you're going to be presented faultless before the Lamb is because you're going to have the righteousness of Christ accounted to you. You're going to be justified by his blood, not your own works. Amen? You can't clean you up. There is no amount of Mr. Clean you know, green scrubby bubbles, what, uh, there, you can't do it. There's no such thing for the soul. Save Jesus. His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Amen. Can't wait. Can't wait. Jude says it this way in Jude 24 and 25, Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be the glory, the majesty, the dominion, the power, both now and forever. Amen. You see, God can do that. You can't. And he will do it for them during that period of time. Then the angel begins to preach the everlasting gospel. The, the Greek adjective here that's used is aeonon, and, and what it really means is to be constantly 
perfect or constantly befitting or everlastingly the absolute only thing that is applicable. And so when you use that connected with gospel, if there's only one gospel, and there is, there's only one gospel, people like to say, well, I've got another gospel. If you have a different gospel, Scripture says, then that's a lie. The truth is not in you, and you're not saved. So there's only one gospel that saves. No matter how many people want to try and massage that from what Scripture says, there's only one name under heaven whereby men may be saved. And it is at the name of Jesus that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in that sense, that everlasting gospel that's going to be preached by this angel, you see, we kinda, we've gotten a false impression a little bit of our role, I believe, sometimes in seeing people come to Christ. Now, let me make this very clear for you. I'm absolutely telling you that you have an obligation before the Lord, and you have a privilege to go and preach the gospel to anyone and everyone. You should do that. The church should do that. That's what we do. We're actively preaching the gospel. But can I tell you, if people getting saved relies purely on the faithfulness of people, then God's not been fair. He hasn't been just. Because I don't know about you, there have been times when God has spoken to me, you need to go tell that person about Jesus. And I'm like, well, God, I'm on vacation. (laughs) I know that may sound crazy coming from a pastor, but we deal with the same flesh that you've got. Those of us in ministry, you know, I, can't you see I'm buying night crawlers right now? I did, do I have to share the gospel with the lady at the counter? Yes, you do, Jeff. You're a pastor. Okay. Yeah, sometimes we're kind of ineffective at that, aren't we? And so here is a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit at work through angels actually preaching the gospel without the use of human beings. And sometimes people will ask me, well, what about, you know, aboriginal peoples in the middle of, you know, the center of, of Australia? What about people who maybe never had a missionary come there and it was, the, the gospel was never translated into their language? I believe this gives us some insight into God's character and into the way he works. I'm not preaching, by the way, a universal salvation here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But can God speak through rocks and trees? You better believe he can. Can he send angels to speak to people directly into their heart and their mind? You absolutely better believe he can. And in fact, you actually see that initially in the Old Testament. That's how God did that. You know, all of a sudden an angel of the Lord appeared unto people and began to speak to them. There was no Bible. Nobody was carrying around a Bible going, here, let me turn you, let's do the Romans road right now. Did you? Got it right here. Did you know that all of sin had come short of the glory of God? Well, they couldn't do that then. And yet Abraham you're going to see in heaven. Amen? Isaac you'll see in heaven. Amen? David you'll see in heaven. Amen? And by the way, I didn't just list a bunch of perfect people. Think about it. So God is able by his spirit to preach the gospel to people. And it shows exactly that happening here in this passage. Without the voice of a human being, an angel actually does it. Now, who this angel is, we're not given total insight into, but it does appear that that gospel is being preached. And remember that when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he actually kind of addressed the the centrality of this issue in chapter 1. 
He said, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of an incorruptible God into the image of a corruptible man, birds and four-footed beasts and, and creeping things. And they refused to receive the truth of God, for in the creation they could see him. So I do believe that there are times when people look up at the stars and they begin to seek the unknown God, just as Paul spoke to the Greeks. He says, I noticed you got an empty niche over here in the wall. They're in Acts. He's speaking to the, to the people on the, on, as, as they're meeting on this mountain and they're talking to each other. And he says, well, I noticed you got one to Zeus here and I, you know, I see Mercury over there. Who's this empty one? Who's that to? He said, let me tell you about that one. To the unknown God. God can do that. Now having said that, you're still supposed to preach the gospel with your life and with your actions, with your words, and when all else fails, keep your mouth shut and just be Christ-like. Because there are some Christians that probably be better if they didn't talk. Kind of, yeah. You know, you've you've met them. You know what I'm saying. They have signs most of the time. So, the everlasting gospel goes out. Receiving the good news takes care of that bad news. The bad news is God's finally going to judge the earth. The good news is God still has the gospel available even during that terrible time. That's His grace. That's God's amazing grace. Speaking forth into that generation. Notice it says next that Babylon has fallen. Verse 8. And another angel followed saying Babylon has fallen. It's fallen. That great city because she has made all nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. It becomes fairly clear here. Remember that the Antichrist will have this this three-part plan. That three-part plan is certainly commercial. And that three-part plan is certainly religious. It is also governmental. But the two parts that are going to touch you, much like happens today, we have a government that kind of sets up all these crazy laws, but it's actually when you go in to buy something where you pay the taxes, right? So you feel the brunt of that silly law when you go in to buy something at Costco. When, when, you, when you go to the grocery store or you go to the gas pump, you want to see taxes in action? The gas pump. Whether you know it or not, about 43, 44% of what you pay at the pump is taxes here in the state of California. That's why you can go to other states and they're paying $1.45 a gallon. And we think we've gone, died and gone to heaven because we're only paying two fifty now. You know? I, I remember, remember like, was it four years ago? We were up in Bishop and I felt it was five nineteen a gallon. I thought, honey, we're walking. It's, it's just time. We can crawl, you know. It's not that hot in the Mojave Desert. It's only 400 miles. We'll make it. No, it's like, it's crazy. But during this time, you think taxes are bad now? Wait until taxes cost you your life if you don't pay them. Just so you know, when you, when you travel to Israel, you know, we call the Western Wall the Wailing Wall. They actually call the IRS the Wailing Wall. I actually heard that from an Israeli. He says, no, we don't call it the Wailing Wall. You guys call it the Wailing Wall. The IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, that's the Wailing Wall. 
during this time, there's really going to be wailing because you're going to need the mark to buy and sell, to keep your family alive. You're going to need that mark. You're going to have to have it or you're going to die. That's pretty high taxation, isn't it? But notice what happens. The angel follows and Babylon has fallen. This system has come to an end. It's beginning to finally fall apart. In Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 7, it says this, all the way down to verse 10, Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand. In other words, originally, God was actually using the Babylonians, but they shifted very quickly. They actually were used by God to chastise the Jewish people. The reason they went into captivity is because they would not obey the Lord. It made all of the earth drunk. The, the nations drank her wine, and therefore the nations were deranged. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her, take a balm for her pain, and perhaps she may be healed. But we should have healed Babylon, but she's not healed. Forsake her and let her go everywhere on her own, to her own country, for her judgment reaches to heaven. In other words, God is saying of Babylon, one day judgment from heaven is going to fall upon Babylon. Now Babylon today, remember Saddam Hussein actually tried to rebuild the hanging gardens of Babylon. He printed like 19 million bricks with his name on there and the king, you know, in the year of Saddam Hussein. And it was crazy. So there are some people that believe a literal Babylon will be rebuilt. Maybe. It's possible. It's an oil-rich area of the world. Maybe that's going to happen. But we know this. It's speaking of that system that the Antichrist will get a hold of and it will be religious and it will be commercial. So 75th Psalm says that eventually the whole earth will drink of that cup. And that's exactly what happens during the tribulation. The whole world begins to drink of this system. You don't have a choice. And God looks at it as though it were prostitution. When you think about it, look, it's easy. Just don't be there. You don't want to be here in this passage. You don't want to risk having to, to say, well, Pastor Jeff was right. I actually got an email from a guy. Well, you know, you might be wrong. And I actually emailed him back. You're right. I might be wrong. It is possible. Maybe somehow in these last 30 years I've become demented and I can't any longer rightly divide the word of truth. But let's say you're wrong and I'm right. And what do you got to lose? So you have a relationship with Christ that's going to send you to heaven. Uh, if you mess up, then you don't have a relationship with Christ, and you're going to spend eternity without him. Because he was complaining that, you know, I said there was only one way to heaven. And I reiterated, there's only one way to heaven. And he sent me a note back with some explicatives, which kind of told me exactly where he was at. And I sent him back, Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And then I spammed him. No. No, I didn't actually, but I haven't heard back since that one. I try not to get too deeply involved in those things because normally people are just looking to make their point or they you know, want to sell me their weird book or something. 
But just don't be here. Verse 9 to 11. And then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. And so it becomes very, very, very clear the choice that will have to be made. Because if you can't buy and sell, you're not going to last very long before your supplies run out. And if you take the mark of the Antichrist, take the mark of the beast, you're, you're going to set yourself in God's sights, which is poured out now at full strength. Notice that, underline it. God's wrath has never been poured out on this earth in full strength. It's never happened. Has he been angry? Has he destroyed the world by flood? Yes, he has. But that, even that was not his full strength. You might say that was a half measure. And you know why we know that? Eight people lived. When God's wrath is finally poured out, you're either for him or against him. You're going to be one or the other. There's no middle ground. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. It's obvious in the presence of holy angels, the presence of the Lamb. In other words, you're going to be tormented. And then smoke from their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. Those who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Not a pretty picture. A third angel comes with, a, with an eternal warning, if you will. And let me reiterate, I have no idea what the mark is. I have no idea. Nor does anybody else on this earth, because we're not told. There's all kinds of speculation. It's the re- reason I showed you those speculatory things last week. Is I don't believe anybody does know. Because if you knew, people would be wandering around the globe figuring out a way to get around it. And so I believe like the coming of the Lord, there are things that the Lord holds as a mystery. He does not reveal them to us. He knows exactly what it's going to be. And when it happens, it's going to be very attractive to people that are left on this earth. Why do I think that? Because the purpose of the mark is to get people to buy into that system. If it's something ugly and hideous and you could know what it is and try and dodge it and you move to Montana and live in a bomb shelter or something, which is the crazy things that people send me. The emails that I get, well, you know, you need to buy at least 10 years worth of food. And, you know, and it's like, why? I'm going home to heaven. Marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, we got a couple extra six packs of ramen in the cupboard, you know, but not going to last long, but I'm not planning on being here. You see, you're going to have to make that choice, and you need to make that choice before it happens, folks. It's not going to do you any good to, to make the... You're not going to be sitting there in, in the bowels of Sheol going, wow, I just wish I'd have made a different choice. It'll do no good. Verse Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10 says, For God did not appoint us under wrath. In other words, our appointment, he has not called us to, is another way to look at it, his wrath. Because we're his kids. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake, whether we're here right now, or whether we sleep, whether we're dead, we should live together with him. So you're alive in Christ right now, and when you take your last breath or you're raptured home, you're with Jesus. Amen? Just want to make that clear. Oh, don't miss that. See, you can make the choice now so you don't have to be here. Just don't be there when that happens. 
Don't be here on this earth. Be home in heaven. You're not going to have to worry about deciding what the mark is and wondering, well, I don't know what the mark is, so I don't know how to avoid it. There's all kinds of books that you can read about avoiding the mark of the beast. There's only one book you need to read. It's right here. Read this one. Tells you exactly how to avoid the mark of the beast. The free gift of God is salvation in Jesus Christ. Those in the tribulation are going to take that mark. It's not going to be an accident. It'll be a blatant statement against God. Matter of fact, back in chapter 13, we just saw it. The Greek there says, in essence, by the choice, they put the mark on themselves. It's as if you get a home marking kit. You know, like you can order anything on Amazon now. You get a mark of the beast kit that comes to you in the mail. I don't know. I like to do this because it frees up your thinking to go, wow, you know, that does not really make a lot of sense that you could be forced to have the mark because you wouldn't be making a choice. People are saved by grace and through faith. It is a conscious, volitional choice to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you get saved, right? So do you think God would condemn someone who is unable to make that choice? Of course he wouldn't. That wouldn't be grace. That would be works. You'd have to make some kind of decision as to whether you want to take the mark or not. Well, if I don't take the mark, well, let me think about this for a minute. Then it's on you. What about somebody who can't make that kind of mental decision? You see, it can't be about you. It'll, it'll be something that you will volitionally choose. So you'll either choose the mark of the beast or you'll choose the mark of the Lamb of God. You'll either have your heart marked by his love or you're going to choose the other mark by not choosing the mark of his love. Some people say, where did that love go? What happened to it? Well, he's going to give us patience and he's going to give us rest to get there, folks. When we get to the, to the final end of all of this, we realize that God has been fair, he's been gracious, he's been kind. Verse 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. When I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and that their works may follow them. You see, that's really the destiny for all of us. The absent from the bodies be present with the Lord. To be in his presence is the fullness of joy. His presence is the, is the kingdom rest that he's promised. It's not, it's not working. You know, when you get to heaven, the first thing that you do is not going to be like, like go to you know, any government building now. It takes you like three days to fill out the paperwork. When you get to heaven, it's going to be for by grace you've been saved. Well done, enter in. Good and faithful servant. Welcome home. Always wanted to see you here. Glad that you're finally here. It's not, well, you know, not really sure. Maybe you should go back and, you know, think about it for a while. No, if you're saved, you're saved. You're going home. That's why Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 and 12 say, 9 through 12, Beloved, we're confident of better things concerning you. Yes, the things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner, for God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, and in it that you've ministered to saints and do minister. 
And we desire that each one of you should show that same diligence and full assurance of the hope unto the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Amen? That's where we're heading. Make sure that you have made that decision. Whenever the pastors come forward, the worship team come back out and have you stand, if you would, please. That decision is simple. If you've never made it, tonight is your opportunity. If you're here tonight and you do not know the Lord Jesus, so the pastors come forward, I'm going to ask you to come forward and come pray. Have somebody pray with you just to invite Christ in your heart. It's very simple. There's several things you need to recognize that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. The second thing is He's made a way of salvation, and that way is believing in Him. It's just simple belief. Scripture says if you confess Him, confess Jesus before men, that He will confess you before our Father. And so there's some pastors standing up here. If you haven't made that decision, make it tonight. Simply as we close in worship and prayer, come forward, be prayed for. Ask God to come into your life through the power of Jesus Christ that you might be saved. For the rest of us, look, our job is simple. Endure to the end. Heaven waits. The glory of heaven is forevermore. And it's a sure thing. It's the surest thing that's ever happened to you in your entire life. In one day heaven. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Lord, for all that you have done in us and to us and through us tonight. And we would pray that by your spirit right now that you would draw men to yourself. As these pastors wait, Lord, I pray that there's anyone here Lord, they're standing right now and they've never made that decision to follow Jesus. The door is open. Your word says that, Behold, you stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, you will come in and sup with him. And God, to do that, to make that decision, is that one decision that ensures all these things they'll never see. And so, God, we bless you. We thank you for your word. Pray that you would empower us now to make those bold decisions. Transform us and change us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. God's people all said, amen. Amen.